you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, that he is the reigning, ruling, returning king. And that there is victory in Jesus. We thank you for his victory that was bought for us on the cross. That by his life, death and resurrection, Jesus has secured life for all who are in him. We pray, Lord God, that now your spirit would move. Move powerfully in this place. Move powerfully in our hearts. That we would be a people who would live to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And we pray this in His precious name. And all of God's people said with one super loud voice. Amen. 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 Why don't you go grab a seat and what we're doing. Let's put our hands together. Thank you, Dom and Ben, for leading us so very well. Well, it is wonderful uh, to be with you this morning. Uh, A big thanks to Andrew for the invitation. You're in our prayers, brother, with a broken leg. Hope you're doing well. Uh, It's good to be here. Wonderful for us to be together as God's people. Um, Easter this year, a special time for all City on Hill churches where we come together and celebrate new life in Christ and and baptisms. Uh, I was at Middle Park Beach uh, in Melbourne. And uh, after we'd finished uh, the baptisms, uh, a, a bloke uh, ran over to me from the, the cafe, which was right there on the beach, uh, to say hi. Uh, his name is uh, Frank, and uh, he, he saw the, the sign right. It was actually, I don't know if you remember that day, there was a sign of the cross in the sky. Uh, we were singing, uh, obviously there was baptisms, and he said to his wife, I wonder if that's City on a Hill. And he uh, got out from the cafe, ran across to say g'day to me. Well, it turns out that Frank... Uh, was the very first person to ever be baptized uh, at City on a Hill some 14 years ago. Uh, He'd since moved out to the suburbs with his family and and had come to really just share a word of thanks in all that God had done in his life. Uh, Amazing guy, really. Um, Very resistant uh, to Christianity in his his adult life, never really been to church. His wife was a bit of a religious goer, but he didn't want a bar of it. Um, And found himself in this place where he was kind of hemmed in in all sides in his life. His, his health was waning, uh, there was some uh, fracturing in, in, in his relationships, his business was really struggling, uh, and he shared with me that he got to this point where he drove to, I think it was Port Melbourne Beach, uh, really trying to wrestle with life and not knowing what to do with his life, and really it hit this rock bottom. And as he was there, he turned on the radio uh, and he heard this interview uh, about this church starting in a pub. He'd never heard about a church starting in a pub, which is where we were at the time. And he thought, well, maybe this is some kind of sign. Uh, and so he told his wife, she was thrilled to bits, uh, grabbed the three kids, and they came along to this church in a pub in Melbourne. Uh, again, quite resistant, hesitant, but he discovered their uh, community that he never thought are possible. Uh, realized that Christians weren't all a bunch of hypocrites. And most importantly, he heard the gospel. Uh, week in after week, he'd, he'd hear this message of forgiveness. He'd me- hear this message of life. He'd hear this message of hope. Uh, and so about six months into our story, uh, actually during communion, he came forward and said, God, I'd like to be baptized. Uh, back then, the media thought that we baptized people in beer. Um, 
we didn't, but it did make for some, some good headlines. Um, so standing with uh, Frank that day, just hearing all that God had continued to be doing in his life was just a massive testimony of God's grace. And when you think, you know, 14 years back and uh, of all the people uh, God has rescued, the many men and women and children he has taken from death to life in Melbourne, in Geelong, in Brisbane, uh, it's just, it's, it's an incredible, incredible move of God's grace. Uh, a great encouragement to think about all that God has done, but I hope uh, fuel as we think about all that God has for our future. Uh, we are, as we're going to see when we dump, jump into left and right, uh, we are living, aren't we, in this culture of tension and division and confrontation, uh, and it could be easy for us to retreat and to hold back, but we are to remember uh, that we belong to Jesus Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail, right? Jesus is in control as we just sung. He has the battle. He's won the victory. And so I hope today we have a message of encouragement for you. Uh, And I thought that rather than looking back, we might look forward uh, and look at this vision that Jesus gives to John uh, about the church. And it's in the book of Revelations. And so if you have a, a Bible, I'd love you to come with me. Uh, to the opening chapters of Revelation. And, and, and Jesus' vision of, uh, or message, I should say, to the seven churches. Uh, now, it is a message to the church then. It's important to, to recognize some of the historical context, but it's also a timeless message and a timely message for us in, in who we want to be as God's people, who we want to be as the church. And so as we unpack this uh, text uh, we're, we're talking, or Jesus is talking to seven communities of faith. They're scattered across Asia Minor at a time when the Roman Empire is dominating the world. Uh, we often think that we're one of the unique generations to find it difficult to be a Christian. It's helpful to remember that they're living in the time of the Roman Empire, which is marked by tremendous trial and temptation. Uh, it's, a, it's an empire of great uh, uh, strength and seduction. And so you're trying to work out, what does it mean to be a Christian in those times? And this is Jesus' message to the church. And so I want to identify four uh, observations, you could say vision, for us as God's people. So here's the first one. I want us to embrace, I want to embrace faith over fear. That's the first call. We're to be a people of faith over fear. So in verse 8 of chapter 2, Jesus says this, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, do you notice how Jesus introduces himself to the church? Right? He actually introduces himself in in specific ways to each church to demonstrate something that was of particular importance to that church community. Here, the church in Smyrna, he introduces himself as the first and the last. 
In other words, he existed before creation in eternity past, and he exists into eternity future. That is to say that Jesus has no beginning, and Jesus will have no end. And the eternality of Christ is punctuated by this stunning declaration that we cannot gloss over, that Jesus died and Jesus came to life. Right now, now think about that in the context of the Roman Empire, right? Kingdoms rise up and kingdoms fall. Emperors rise up and emperors fall. Jesus, fully God, fully man, is the one who died and rises again. He rose physically, he rose spiritually, he rose eternally, he rose historically, he rose victoriously. So why does Jesus underscore this for the church in Smyrna? Well, it's that word you might like to underscore in your Bible, tribulation. I know your tribulation. Now, it's a very strong word in Greek, which, which speaks of crushing pressure. It's the image of a wrecking ball in a car yard that's pulverizing the car, right? Just smashing it down over and over and over again. And Jesus says to Smyrna, I know your tribulation. I know the weight of pressure that is hammering you every single day day because of your faith, right? Rome was a prosperous city, the most advanced city, also the most dangerous nation, uh, empire to be, uh, to be around if you were a Christian. They've already witnessed, at this time, horrific oppression under Nero. By AD 92, Christians are being pulverized. Uh, Domitian, at this point, is the emperor. He's a very insecure man, like most of the emperors of that day, who demanded the citizens worship him. Now, it's a pluralistic society, so that didn't really bother a lot of people, even people who worship different gods. They worship that god. They can bow down and worship this Caesar as God. They've got no issue with that, unless you're a Christian. (laughs) They don't mind praying for the emperor. (laughs) They don't mind giving taxes and what's required to the emperor. But one thing that Christians will not do is bow down and worship the emperor. And so because of that, believers were ostracized in their workplace, Uh, their shops would be confiscated, their businesses closed down, their homes ransacked. Uh, A key figure that many of you may know is the bishop in Smyrna, Polycarp, uh, 156 AD. He is a man of faith trying to live out his Christian faith, trying to love people in the church, trying to love the world that God has placed him in. The Roman guards knock on the door, his his hands are chained, Uh, he's dragged before a local council public display where he is asked to cast a small pinch of incense to the emperor and utter the phrase, Caesar is Lord. That's all you got to do. You want this mess to go away? Go back to your family, go back to your good church ministry, just throw the incense and say, Caesar is Lord, and we can close this up and go home. Polycarp refuses. They are infuriated by his defiance. 
and they ask him one more time, denounce Jesus. And his response, 86 years I have served Christ and he never did me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? What does Jesus say to the church amidst trial and tribulation? What does he say to you who right now are feeling the weight of pressure? Verse 10, do not fear. Do not fear doesn't mean that you'll be spared from the flames. Do not fear does not mean you'll escape ridicule from your peers, or even the dishonor of your parents. Do not fear does does not mean that if you pray really, really hard that you'll be spared from suffering. Do not fear means that though you die, yet you will live. Here today, in a nation like ours, it's possible that your name will be slandered on account of your relationship with Jesus. I mean, just this week, we've seen significant heat fall upon seven rugby players who refused to wear a jumper that they felt was at odds with their faith. You who are in Christ risk losing your reputation in the university. You who are in Christ uh, risk being uh, ostracized in the schoolyard because of your faith. You who are in Christ risk being demoted in the workplace or just not given the right opportunities or the trust in the workplace because of your relationship with Jesus. What shall we say to those things? With a deep breath, do not fear. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in Rome, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed, uh, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor ruler, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. How many of you know that is good news? That is good news. City on a hill, don't be driven by fear, live by faith. That's the first word. Second, let's pursue courage over compromise. So moving to the next church, Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name 
You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Interesting. Why why does Jesus introduce himself to this church as the one with a sharp two-edged sword? Because throughout the Bible, the sword is a metaphor for God's word, right? It's a metaphor for his truth, the truth. And that is very important because this was a church at war with false teaching and competing worldviews. John Stott says, here a pitched battle was being fought in which the soldiers were not men, but ideas. And so while Jesus commends the church for not denying their faith, he challenges them for allowing false ideas and false teaching to seep into the community of faith. So in verse 14, Jesus says this, check this out, that I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who teach Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Uh, We often believe that the modern world is more sexualized than generations before. Uh, But we need to realize that Rome flaunted their power and worshipped sexual freedom. Uh, One ancient writer from Athens said this, Uh, We have prostitutes for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohibition. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and for having a faithful guardian of our household affairs. Right? This is a very promiscuous society that valued uh, that sexual promiscuity. What happens then when a teacher, a Christian teacher, starts telling them it's perfectly in okay for you to follow your heart and indulge those freedoms. What happens to the church when it says, if it feels good, then just do it? Compromise. In the words of Cranmer, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Did these men and women go to church and worship among believers? Absolutely. Did they pray to Jesus and tell people that they were Christians? No doubt. But as Jesus reveals, they had one foot in their faith and the other foot in the world. And here lies a challenging word for us today. Uh, Because like the city of Rome, we too are living in a culture that flaunts its sexual freedom and promiscuity. Uh, last I checked, there was twice as many, twice as many brothels as McDonald's restaurants in Victoria. A landmark study uh, in the Burnett Institute of Australia said 80% of young men watch pornography weekly, and among women who watch pornography, nearly two-thirds view it monthly. And the saturation of sex in our culture is not only reshaping our vision of sex, but also our vision of ourselves. Uh, Whether you identify as heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, transsexual, pansexual, our world is telling us in a million and one ways that sex is more than an experience. Sex is now the ultimate definer 
of who you are. And so it's not surprising then, is it, to hear of Christians fooling around with sex before marriage. It's not surprising to hear of a Christian girl dating a non-Christian guy. It's not surprising to hear of Christians being seduced by the lure of porn. Uh, In the world, that's called following your heart. According to Jesus, it's called sin. And what does Jesus say to us? What does Jesus say to us who are right now succumbing to the seduction of the world around us? Verse 16, one word really, repent. Repent. Now, the word repent is rarely heard in a lot of churches today. And I think that's because we, like the church in Pergamon, we value tolerance over truth. We don't like offending people and we prefer to sugarcoat sin and pretend it's okay, but it's not okay. To remain silent in the face of sin is not loving, but profoundly unloving. Do you know what repentance means? Repentance is the cry of a father who says, stop, turn around, you're heading in the wrong direction. When one of my children, I've got four kids, When one of them forgets where they are and they stumble onto the middle of the road into oncoming traffic, what do I as a father say? Follow your heart. You do you. Of course not. The word is repent. Turn around. You're you're going the wrong way. If one of my other child grabs a fork and tries to plunge it into an electric toaster, What do I say? Follow your heart. You do you. No. Repent. Stop. What you're doing is dangerous. You say, Guy, these are all very extreme examples. Absolutely. But might I suggest that physical danger is far less extreme than spiritual danger? Jesus himself says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Are you looking at porn? Repent. Are you sleeping around with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Repent. Are you cheating on your spouse, building your happiness on another person's pain? Repent. Are you listening to the lies of the enemy? It's filling your mind with, temptation and stupidity, repent. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He has done everything possible to rescue you. We can trust him. And his message of truth is life for the soul. So quit living in compromise. Be a person of courage. Third, Let's also be marked by adventure over apathy. So up until this point, it might be tempting for us to imagine the church as being on the defense. You know, we're we're seeking to hold the ground in terms of temptation and trial and tribulation, right? But while the empire of Rome was dangerous, Jesus never ever imagined the church locking its doors and hiding. Look to verse 7. 
in chapter 3. <laughs> chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one else will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Do you notice the leading image? It's the image of an open door. Now, what's the significance here? Well, first, it's, it's important to recognize that the open door is the door of salvation. Uh, the key of David, which is referenced here, echoes back to a prophecy of Isaiah, uh, where he explains that Eliakim, the overseer of the king's wealth and treasure and blessing, will be given authority to open and shut the door to the house of David. The house of David being the the house of God's blessing and wealth and invitation. And it's Eliakim who holds the key. It's Eliakim who opens the door. So what's the point in Revelation? The point in Revelation is that Jesus Christ is the true and better Eliakim. He holds the key that unlocks the door to all the riches of God's kingdom. That had so, that had so much significance for the original readers uh, many of the believers in Philadelphia were in fact Jewish, and because of their association with Jesus, the doors of the synagogue were shut to them. They were shut out from their regular worship. They were shut out from their networks of friends. Some of them were even shut out of their own families. But here in Revelation, Jesus comforts them, saying, the door to the synagogue may be shut, but I have opened to you a better door the door of the one true living God, the door to his presence, the door to his blessing. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. Jesus is the open door. And the open door that we read about here in Revelation should not only encourage us in the salvation that we experience, it should motivate us in the mission to now go and to welcome many more. The door has been open. No more shall it be shut. It's open to your friends. It's open to your family. Jesus has done everything for them to be saved. You don't have to be right, uh, wait until their lives are clean and worked out. You don't have to wait till they completely understand systematic theology and know every part of the Bible and know how to do this. No, 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 no. Jesus has done everything because we're not saved by our works. We're saved by God's grace. The door that we locked on account of our own sin, Jesus has kicked down with his salvation. That's why Paul asked the church to pray as we should always be praying. Pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. I, I've lived in Australia my whole life, lived in Melbourne my whole life. I love, I love, love, love this nation. It's beautiful. It's incredible um, land. Uh, amazing diversity people you get to meet from all over the world. Um, so many great memories, you know, driving the East Coast. I love this country. 
um, so much opportunity for us. And yet spiritually, most recent research suggests that something like 10% of Australians' population are connected to a worshipping community. That suggests right now 90% of people are not yet in a saving relationship with Jesus. The vast majority of the people you and I rub shoulders with every day don't yet know the, the goodness of God's grace, the hope of eternity. God has placed, Ecclesiastes tells us, eternity on the hearts of all people. Right? His signature is on their heart, which means there's something within everybody, whether they go to church or not, that says, I'm made for more than this world. And every day they are trying to find the answer to that. And maybe it's their work, and maybe it's a girlfriend, or maybe it's sports, or maybe it's, right? They're trying to fill that. And in Jesus, we see the Word made flesh, life, the one who has hope and salvation. And so we need to step out, don't we? We can't stand in indifference and apathy. We have to pursue the adventure of mission. And we can do that confidently because of who Jesus is and his power to save. Um. Some time back, I was talking with a, a pastor uh, about a ministry in Southeast Asia, and he, he told me this story, this remarkable story, really, about a church planter who was sent out to, to start a church in a village and was getting no fruit, no response to the gospel uh, at all, praying and preaching, praying and preaching, and no one was coming to Christ. And he called up the leader and says, that's it, I quit, it's too hard, there's no response, People are not open to the gospel here. There's no fruit. I quit. Um, Encourage the guy to keep going. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep trusting. And the following morning, he felt God telling him to start going to the actual, the local hospital and pray for people there. That's what I want you to do. So he trusts the spirit and he goes to the hospital and he just starts praying. Um, A few weeks go by. What does he see? Nothing. (laughs) Five weeks go by of prayer. What does he see? Nothing. Seven months go by of visiting and praying for six people. What does he see? Nothing. And then one woman is healed. He's more surprised than her. And as you know, she's healed and this happens, he, he sits with her and he explains the gospel to her. Uh, and and, and uh, he's only got a little bit of time. Well, she's going back. And so he, he gifts her, obviously, with a Bible, um, Gifts her with some kind of like basics to Christianity, some song charts, and because Christians sing, you should probably start singing these songs, and um, sends her on, on, on her way. Well, two years later, he gets a letter from this lady saying, you must come and visit my village. And he puts it aside for a little bit, but she keeps writing. Eventually, three years later, he returns the letter and says, okay, I'm coming, I'll come and visit. Packs his bag, and he makes the trek to visit. When he arrives, he goes to a rice field, and what does he see? He sees 22,000 men and women and children waiting for his arrival. Who were the 22,000 people? These were the people this one woman of faith had led to Christ. Uh, She didn't have a Bible college degree. (laughs) 
She wasn't like formally trained. Her life had been changed by Jesus. She'd been impacted by the love of Christ and she wanted to share that love with her family and friends. Uh, City on a Hill, let's not hold back. Let's continue to trust that Jesus is the one who builds his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Let's embrace the adventure. Faith over fear, courage over compromise, adventure over apathy. We've got time for one more. Finally, relationship over religion. So perhaps the most striking of all statements is reserved for the first church and the last. In verse one, we read these words. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, the church in Ephesus was born during Paul's visit uh, with his co-workers Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, the church tradition actually says that um, toward the end of the first century, the apostle John became the pastor of that church and one of the lifelong members was, was in fact Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to this church. Could you imagine how amazing their Christmas plays would have been? <laughs> Anyone want to play Mary? Oh, great, Mary, great. Uh, This church had a significant reputation. Uh, Did you see it? Uh, Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Uh, Like These guys are enduring. They've got their mission. They're moving forward. On top of that, uh, he he says, uh, and and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, right? So they're not compromised. You've tested those who call themselves apostles, right? They're pushing out false teaching, and he found them to be false, Right, so they're, they're theologically sharp, they're together, they're moving forward, they read their Bible, they're committed to orthodoxy, they're getting it right. And Jesus says, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, right? This is a church that's got it going. You're like, man, I want to be in this church. I want to be a Christian like this because these guys have got it Right? But amidst the many works of righteousness and the many outward signs of faith, what Jesus says next strikes like a hammer. Verse 3, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You've got your Bible in place. You're preaching solid. There's lots of religious enthusiasm. People are sticking at it. But you have lost your first love. Jesus doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. Jesus sees the heart. And he cares for your heart. He cares for your love. He must be your first love. Uh, I met my wife when I was 18. She's with us today. Uh, last month, we celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's, a, yeah, that's an achievement. We made it. <laughs> uh, I must confess, though, Vanessa was not my first love. Uh, my first love was actually uh, my guitar. Um, 
Uh, I fell in love uh, with music when I was about nine years of age. Uh, I saved my pennies and first my, b- uh, bought my first uh, electric guitar when I was 14. Uh, she was everything to me. Uh, I would go to her in times of joy, uh, in difficult times, I would go to her as well. Uh, such was my love for my uh, guitar that I have posters of her uh, on my bedroom. At one point, I even had an earring of a guitar and a necklace with a guitar around my neck. Uh, truth be told, at night, uh, when the lights were out, I would hold my electric guitar in my bed and caress her beautiful body. Um, she was my first love. Uh, but we had our differences. Um, there are only so many times you can play Stairway to Heaven. And in my 20s, I got a little bored uh, and the sparks began to fade. Uh, we trialed uh, separation. Uh, she moved from my bedroom to the garage. And uh, while I'd take her out for special occasions, uh, those occasions became less and less special. Around 25 years of age, um, Ness and I were living in a one-bedroom place, and I made the decision uh, to clean up my life a little bit and put my guitar on the market. It seemed right. I'd been neglecting her, uh, and she was keen to move on. Uh, But as I handed her over to a stranger, uh, a piece of my heart broke because she was my first love. Uh, Is this the perfect illustration to describe what happened to the church in Ephesus? Mm, Probably not. (laughs) But isn't it true that this is something of what can happen to us when it comes to our relationship with Jesus? Think back. Think back in your mind for a moment to the time your faith was so very real to you, so very present to you. Think back to the time that the significance of the cross met you, not just here, You understood it, but you felt it, and you received it. You recognized that when Jesus died on the cross, this was not some distant, abstract, religious ritual. He was dying for you because of his great love for you in your mess, in your muck, in your stupidity and sin. His arms were open to you. He called you son. He called you daughter. You belong to him and you were caught up in the joy and the significance, so much so that everything else in your world just faded away. He was your first love. And you can feel it. Maybe it was a church camp. Maybe it was a service here. Maybe he was real to you. He was everything to you. To be his first love doesn't, is not just first in order. It's first in prominence, preeminence, supremacy. Yes, you have a career, but who is your first? Jesus. Yes, you have a church, but who is first? Jesus. You have a family. Oh, we love our kids. But you have a first love. Jesus. Over the years, is it not true that sometimes we can start to just go through the motions? 
Is it not true that sometimes we can flick past parts in the Bible or listen to a sermon or hear a devotion and just go through the motions? Yeah, I care about Jesus. Yeah, he's a big part. But if we're really, really honest, if Jesus was to sit with you and to really just you, one-on-one with him, praise God for his grace. (laughs) If you right now are like, you know what? Yeah, I, I... He's there in my life, but he's not my everything. But he welcomes you with the same love that he welcomed you on that first day. He forgives you. Oh, to know the forgiveness of Jesus is so, so sweet. He wants to be first in your life. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, it's a message for you, isn't it? Jesus loves you. He died for you. He'll give you something far greater than this world, something far greater than yourself. Yes, he'll forgive you sins and clear your debt, but that's part of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. You get him. You get to know him. You get to embrace God who made you, loves you, has purpose for you, this life and the next. If you are not in Christ, quit giving yourself to this world. Quit trying to find yourself in some random ideology that holds no substance Come to your maker and your judge and see his glory supremes all else. If you're not in him, please trust in Jesus. And if you are in Christ today as the band comes up, may this be a small window of time, a moment and opportunity to receive in thanks Jesus' word, to say, Lord, I confess I have wandered and I have waned. Would you now Capture my heart with that first love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the men and women here and those tuning in online. Lord, with an open heart and open hands, we say that you'd come and meet us like a rushing river. We thank you for the ways that you have been faithful. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that your mercy is alive in you every day. Oh, that we long to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Help us, Lord God, to be captured by you and to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.